0: Welcome back to the Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. It is Tuesday afternoon here in the Northern Command of Conservative Review, March 7th. I don't even know what time it is. I know some of you guys have been following my Twitter timeline, obviously, the full array of articles we've been putting out. And I have a lot more to say. And frankly, my brain is thinking so fast on this Trump care business that I don't even have time to write. <laughs> So we're going to try to lay out in the next half an hour why Trump Care is worse than even Obamacare, both politically for conservatives and policy-wise. And I mean this in a very literal sense. It is literally mechanically worse, and we're going to go through each element and then put it all together, both in terms of the policies and the timeline in particular. You're not going to hear this almost anywhere else or probably anywhere else – laid out this way um even those that are bashing it aren't fully getting to the core of how bad this is and and that's why i feel there's a need to again if i can't make things work at least we could be the jeremiah and chronicle the destruction and understand the severity of how bad things are so maybe someday we could finally solve this but um and and by the way i know i promised you this week i'd have my plan out it's still copy edited it's all written um, but unfortunately, we don't have anyone to promote free market health care. We don't have any leaders, not the president, not the vice president, not the House and Senate leadership who believe in one morsel or understand free market health care. And I want to preface just by noting how this Trump care, Ryan care, rhino care, whatever you want to call it, it epitomizes this ratchet theory of politics. How when the Democrats get into power, they just twist and twist and twist. Less freedom, more socialism, more intervention, more breaking up the market, which engenders a further need, and the lobbyists come in and demand more and more insolvent, more insolvent, more entitlements, more dependency, more market distortions. You can never go in the other direction. When Republicans get in there, they throw well, they throw in the rhetoric on the campaign trail, oh, we're gonna go get rid of this. But when they get in there, Rather than using what's moral and what's right and what's prudent as the baseline from which to craft policies, they actually go ahead and use the existing liberal Democrat policies as the baseline. And then, as we've said many times, they just go one to two tranches away and say, well, here we are. We're in good shape. We just uh, one to two tweaks different than the left. So therefore, this is better. This is where we're getting rid of what the left did. And in fact, they're codifying and enshrining what they're doing. And, and this is what has happened for years. You look at people like Paul Ryan and Mike Pence, what they were arguing about almost a generation ago, about 15 years ago, 13, 15 years ago on health care entitlements. And it, it's just breathtaking to see how they've changed. They were working on rolling back the existing state. I mean, until now, we've had socialized medicine, basically um, Medicare, Medicaid, S chip, a bunch of state programs, the VA. That accounted for about fifty percent of healthcare in America. So we already didn't have a free market, and the only reason why that was somehow somewhat solvent is because you had the half that was at least partially free market. So it wasn't fully government run to keep down costs to a certain extent. But um, the private market really suffered as a result of those programs that, you know, especially Medicare people on it liked it, but they didn't realize it's distorting the entire market. So that's what we had. And and it was approaching close to a trillion dollars a year in combined state and federal expenditures. I mean, we do have a national debt in case someone didn't realize that. And it does eat away at economic growth right now, in case people didn't realize that. I thought we did care about that. But that's what we had. So Republicans always ran on rolling that back. I mean, Reagan, you want to go back to the 80s. He talked about getting rid of the entire Great Society. But we're done with that. But we swore that once they did Obamacare, which took over the remainder of health care and made it that it's completely actuarially insolvent, and a massive entitlement subsidizing at a higher rate, which engenders a need for more subsidization. We swore to ourselves, up and down, left and right, that we would never let that stand. That as soon as we'd get into power, that would be wiped clean. That this this would be different than any other entitlement, any other bad government intervention, that we will wipe it clean. So it would be pre-2009 baseline, that's where we'd start. Um, now I'm going to try to play along here. You know, we called this months ago. Um, I, I was writing about this literally before anyone else after Trump won the election. I said, you know, they're not repealing Obamacare. You know, they call Obamacare something that's not Obamacare. They're not getting rid of the regs and the subsidies. You know that. Um, so to, to you guys, and you guys are really, Probably the most educated audience around I, I see it from your emails, I see it from your comments on Twitter. you guys get this so that's why I'm gonna go real you know into detail here. Um, but we were talking about this forget about the last couple months, even the last number of years. This is why I worked on priming Mitch McConnell and and uh, Thad Cochran and, and Eric Kaner and all these people because we knew they wouldn't get rid of it. This is nothing new. This is how the lobbyists work. The lobbyists work to protect the status quo. They don't want a free market. The few remaining people in the market would rather have the regs but have the government subsidies endlessly flowing and a cliff that forces the government because the system is built on them now, not on a market. So you have to subsidize them. They get their guaranteed stream of income and nobody else could break into the market and done. And, and, and this is exactly, by the way, you read the plan in totality, and you see exactly where it's coming from. It's coming from Big Pharma using the Buddha government to perpetuate the status quo. So that's healthcare in America. And, and we knew that they wouldn't get rid of it. But here we are, not surprisingly, they didn't get rid of it. Why is this worse than Obamacare itself? Now, let's talk again about what is Obamacare. When you talk about government run healthcare in general, there are five elements. R- regulations, mandates, subsidies, government spending. Now, a lot of the subsidies and spending overlap but not always, and taxation. Five elements, and I want to go through the prism of each. And I want to demonstrate how, you know, some people are saying, well, there's a couple of good things. No, no, no. Because you can't look at each thing in a vacuum. Remember, here we look at everything in totality. Not like a liberal that tries to isolate things. This is all very complex and interlocking. So between the interplay of the different factors, the the five factors, both the private sector, what they're doing, the government subsidies, and the timeline for when they're doing what, it is on net actually worse than Obamacare. So at its core, what is Obamacare? The most important thing are the regs. And they don't even talk about that. They don't even talk about the regulations at all. Done. At all. They immediately immediately we start debating the subsidies and how much re- replace. But you could you could debate the replace if you actually repeal. They don't repeal the law. What is the law? Actually insolvent. Regulations, meaning not just regular regulations, but actuarially, actuarially insolvent ones. And in fact, the only time that they address it in their outline, they say they they, they refer to the regulations as protecting consumers. <laughs> Gee, the guaranteed issue and community rating. Okay, so the the CR, CRS, Congressional Research Service, lists about twenty four regulations under Obamacare that all raise the cost of health care of of health insurance. Th- that, that is Obamacare at its core. But the big two is guaranteed issue mixed with community rating, meaning, again, for those of you that, that, that don't know the terms, to force insurers to cover everyone no matter what and to cover them at the rate of the community. So you can't, you can't even charge more and have a kind of a, a graduated scale. So it's actuarially insolvent. In addition, you have the what's called the essential mandated benefits. That's why you have to every plan has to have sex change operations, maternity coverage for males, and yada yada. So there's the essential mandates. Then there's um, there's a bunch of different scheduling with open enrollments and when you can enroll and when you could have people and not enroll, what you could offer and how much money you have to spend on what the medical loss ratio. There's all this stuff. 95% of those 24 regs, including the big two, are left in place, period. So there's nothing else to talk about. You didn't repeal it. That is what has created doubling and tripling of premiums and deductibles and you know, knocking out all but a couple of insurers in the market. No choice, no competition. It's impossible to innovate. You don't even need to say anything more. We can end the podcast right here. Now, on top of that, what's worse about Obamacare is that then it engenders – a need for subsidization because people can't afford it. And the subsidies itself funneled through the exchanges that are heavily regulated further distorts the market and further inflates the cost because now everyone's getting a stream of funding. So now we can raise the prices and so on and so forth. Reg subsidize, reg subsidized. That, that is at its core what the death spiral is. That is what Obamacare is. And then in addition to that, it radically expanded Medicaid the third element there, um, so both both statutorily, um, policy-wise, allowing able, able-bodied adults onto it, and then just much more generous uh, subsidies, um, unfunded liabilities. So just blowing a hole in it, and as a result of Obamacare, now combined federal and state health care spending has surged past a trillion dollars, and we have a failed system. To We have nothing to show but a failed system for it. So that's what it is. There's two other elements, the taxes and the mandates, the the, the individual mandate requiring individual to purchase insurance and the employer mandate requiring employers to offer to uh, their, their employees. Those things are not Obamacare. Like I've said many times, they're the funding mechanisms of Obamacare. And in fact, they actually ameliorate the pig just slightly. It's still insolvent, but Prop it up a little bit more than it w- w- would otherwise um, immediately spiral into death because then you force everyone to go into it and then there's more money pumped into it um, because otherwise, if you don't have it, then people leave because who's going to want to pay the higher prices of regs and subsidies on the distorted market? Likewise with the taxes. Now, normally, taxes are just as onerous as regulations. You tax something, you raise the cost. But most of the tax revenue, you have to understand, most of the taxes are not really healthcare based. There's a couple of them on insurers and healthcare providers, the medical device tax, which it doesn't really affect insurance, but it's onerous in its own right. But most of it is the 3.8% surcharge on investment income for the, for the wealthy and the increase in the Medicare payroll tax for the wealthy as well. So those two that accounts for for more than half the revenue from the tax increases. I know they talk about over twenty tax increases. A lot of them are very minor. There's a liquor one. There's there's also they're onerous. Their taxes. They're anti-growth, but they're not related so much to healthcare. So repealing those, you're not gonna fix the system. If anything, you're gonna have less revenue and you're gonna have a bigger debt. Again, I don't. I'm not, I'm not vouching for tax increases. So what what what. With that background now we can understand why Trump care is worse. And and yes, I do call it Trump care because he is signing off on it. He's not leading on this and he's saying this is a great plan. So you're the president, you're in charge. It's the you you own it now. So what what are they doing? They're leaving 100% of the regs until 2020 and 95% of the regs thereafter. I'll get to that in a minute. And the subsidies They're leaving until 2020 and then replacing after 2020 with subsidies that are more politically indefensible and I believe will actually distort the market even worse. I hope to get to that element as well. And Medicare expansion, they leave in place um, every single iota. And then they allow until 2020 – so – there's two things. There's one thing to say. I'm going to allow everything that has happened, and then, but I'm going to freeze any future enrollees. No, they only freeze the future enrollees in 2020. So that's going to create an incentive for states to flood the zone over the next three years and just flood it. Um, it just, uh, just totally insolvent. Crush the federal budget with that. Crush dependency. And then again, it's all. Putting people into Medicaid in a system not fixing the market because it has the regs and the subsidies. Again, it's all built upon keeping the regs. So you have to remember that. So the prices are distorted. The prices are going up. This is where we are. The prices are, are all up. So, so Medicaid is going to continue. It's already doubled per, per enrollee, um, and, and certainly the care hasn't improved. And then even after 2020, it only freezes the rate of growth to not 2009 rate, but 2016 rate. So that's what it is. So it leads everything that makes it unsustainable is in place until 2020. We'll discuss after 2020 in a minute, but we'll, we'll, we'll be dead by then. The system is going to be dead, both left and right-leaning economists and politicians. Everyone agrees something has to be done, although Democrats don't want to do anything, but um, something's got to be done. What has made it actually insolvent is still going to be in place until 2020. Everyone agrees that. The one element that's repealed either immediately or within a year are the mandates and the taxes. Those are the funding mechanisms. Now, you know me. I am not a, I'm not in support of the the individual employer mandate in a free market system. But the truth be told, although it's unconstitutional, but we don't care about that anymore – if you're going to have Obamacare, which is what this is, it literally preserves Ob- Obamacare until 2020. It, basically, to p- put it short, it's 100% Obamacare till 2020, and then after 2020, it's 90% Obamacare. <laughs> we'll be dead by then. But it's worse, because if you don't have the individual mandate, guess what's going to happen? People like myself, and I know many of you, I'm going to drop it, because prices are not going to come down. The circuitous cycle of regs and subsidies are, are there. The Obamacare subsidies are there. So the prices won't come down, and the prices don't come down. But now you have an out; you don't have the p- penalty. Drop it. Then you have even less money going in. Adverse selection: all the healthy people leave. It's a death spiral. And then worse than that. So now you're, you're going to see in a minute the individual mandate is replaced with a penalty that that requires insurers to charge 30 percent more. Uh, You know, again, more government-run mandates, unconstitutional mandates, mandates 30% more for premiums after 2020. We get that. Um, But the employer mandate is not replaced at all. That's gone. So what's going to happen if... Forget about what's going to happen. What would happen in the current system, which is the system until 2020, no matter what? What's going to happen if... uh, employers now have an out you don't have to offer insurance they're gonna drop it like a hot potato you're gonna have all this disruption so everything republicans didn't want to do with a free market all oh, there's too much disruption you're gonna have it in spades even worse and at higher costs everyone's gonna get dumped into an unrepaired regulated dumpster fire market that looks like a mini bar in a hotel room instead of um you know amazon or walmart and this time, Republicans own it. That's the key. Because if you look at the media, it's repeal and replace. I mean, Republicans and, and the Republicans are saying it. They're calling it repeal. So the death spiral is going to be blamed on the repeal when, ironically, nothing is, nothing is repealed, literally, until 2020. Nothing is repealed. Tax increases, are ta- that, that's just what's to fund it. So you'll just be more actually, you'll just blow a bigger hole in the budget. Again, there's a couple of minor taxes that do affect healthcare, or whatever. But I mean, the issue with, I, I hate when, you know, we, we talk about socialized medicine, they talk about taxes or abortion. You know, the Republican plan doesn't fund abortion. <laughs> Lovely. It doesn't have gun control or amnesty either or same-sex marriage. I mean, <laughs> we're not talking about that tax policy is tax policy but getting rid of taxes doesn't solve the 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 healthcare dumpster fire and in fact if you keep the the regs subsidies medicaid expansion and the exchanges that that again cuz the exchanges are where the subsidies are going to be so you can only offer plan so you the insurers aren't there's no room to innovate because you're only going to offer the plans through that prism So it's going to it it doesn't repeal the exchanges. It doesn't repeal anything. That's what Obamacare repeal means. But if you take away the individual and employer mandate and some of the taxes, then it's really insolvent. You're gone. But I thought you repealed it. It's the worst possible thing you could conjure up. And then again, like I said, because there's this threat of somewhat choking off the, the rate of growth of the Medicaid expansion post 2020. So until then, they're going to just flood the zone. You know that's what's so absurd. If you're if you're going to cover everyone and um, under existing Medicaid expansion, at least just freeze future enrollment immediately. They don't freeze it until 2020. So they, I didn't even get to the core of what the replace is after 2020 because they're not repealing it before 2020 and they're making it worse. You're going to have the death spiral before then. You're going to need massive bailouts, which, by the way, is exactly why the insurance companies supported this. Exactly why they supported this. Because they wanted Republican buy-in. The problem that they had until now is that Medicare doc fix, if you remember, every year you had the cliff. That was bipartisan. Everyone had to own Medicare. But. Obamacare wasn't like Medicare. It was more like abortion and guns and taxes where it's two partisan. It's only the Democrats. Republicans would oppose the risk corridors, the cost-sharing subsidies, anytime they needed it. Now they know Republicans own it. They have the buy-in, and you're always going to have a a bidding war between the two parties. Who's going to bail them out and subsidize them more? That's all the the lobbyists want, and this is perfectly designed to achieve that result. I don't have any questions on why they did this. Um, Perfectly designed. So we're going to be dead until 2020. But what happens after 2020? So what are some of the changes? So let's say that by some miracle, some miracle, we last until 2020. Then what happens? Okay, so let's take each item at a time. The regulatory structure, for the most part, stays there. The core regs of guaranteed issue community rating, mandated essential benefits, the only thing that really changes is actuarial va- value so that you know the metals as they call it that is repealed by 2020 it's very downstream Let, let's just call it five of, percent of the regs so the little tweak that would affect prices coming down won't even be until 2020 and, and again so the individual mandate so that, that that's on the reg side but everything else is there so prices indefinitely will be controlled by the government mandate side employer mandate is not replaced at any point so that stays employers will dump everyone um and individuals so they're going to replace it with instead of you paying a penalty to the government you're going to pay a penalty to the insurance company i mean unbelievable the government working to mandate that insurers charge you an extra 30 percent if you game out the system you drop your coverage didn't have it the previous year and then want to you know, get coverage. You can get, it, but you have to pay higher, thirty percent. Again, not actuarially commensurate to your health status, but just to pay the penalty is kind of dissuading you. So, so basically, what's going to happen, this is the worst combination, because the benefit of having a mandate like that, and this is a backdoor mandate, is that you prevent insolvency, the people gaming the system, and you know prices going up even more. But we're not going to have any of that for four years, for for three years. So it's going to be insolvent by then. But even after that, when it's so insolvent, now we're gonna have to go and uh, you know basically you're gonna have to join it. You can't. You, so it, it's not enough that it's really gonna solve it, but it's enough that it will escape, prevent you from escaping. The analogy I would give is if you're trapped in a burning house. What what this mandate or backdoor mandate does is instead of putting out the fire which is putting out the regs the subsidies the entire government run tearing down the berlin wall of regulations the other 20 ideas we have what it basically does is block your your door or your or the window it bars the exit so you're trapped in it that's all it does okay let's move on taxes so we already said it gets rid of most of the taxes day one but it delays the cadillac tax till 2025 all right now, what about the Medicaid expansion? So here's the thing. Starting 2020, at that point, then they're not going to continue the full subsidization of Medicaid expansion. The able-bodied expansion is going to be there, but the full subsidization. But again, because they're not freezing new enrollment until 2020, people are going to flood the states are going to flood the zone led by uh, our buddy John Kasich. So you have that. And even thereafter, they freeze it at 2016 levels. And, and there's a lot of other problems with that. It's not even worth getting into. But some are like, well, Daniel, uh, they look in a vacuum. Well, it's better than the status quo. Well, yeah, but when you take it together with everything, we'll be dead by then. Um, then let's go to the the subsidy plan. This is very important. So keep in mind. All the subsidies and all the regulations are 100% in place until 2020, while the individual employer mandates are not, and therefore you're going to have an even bigger death spiral. Come 2020, they replace subsidies with subsidies. So it's refundable tax credits. But these credits are even more politically indefensible. They transfer wealth from... Ironically, or not wealth because they don't have it in the first place, but transfer subsidies from the existing system, from the lower income and young to more middle-aged, wealthier individuals. And it will induce an even greater distortion of the marketplace. So let me, let's me let unpack this. Right now, the subsidies are graduated based upon a level of subsidy for um, – based on income it's all income based income and then you know individual versus married versus married with kids. those are the factors um so basically you know just the minimum thing you know you're uh I don't know you' you're, you're single let's say you're single couple earning thirty thousand dollars you get about thirty two hundred dollars um you know if you're a single uh, if you're a married couple family of uh, of three, you get about sixty, about fifty four hundred dollars if you earn thirty thousand. Again, I don't know how many families earn that, and you'll be getting Medicaid, and that that that's the joke. So we have the Medicaid expansion already. Um. So anyway, that's the current system. This transfers it to age rated, so it doesn't go by income; it goes by age. So if you're in your twenties, I believe, it's two thousand a pop you know younger 30s it's 2500 upper 30s um 3000 then maybe 3500 for young 40s then 4000 for the 50s i think 50s and then it maxes out there so this is per individual per family they cap it at fourteen thousand. you get fourteen thousand. and remember if you're earning too little so you, it's refundable meaning you get the money and more than zeroes out your tax liability it's a handout so now, you're going to ask me, Daniel, even for wealthy people? Well, not real wealthy people. So basically, they cap it at 75000 income per individual and 150000 per family. But keep in mind, even the cap is only on the full subsidy. It starts phasing out. You lose $100 worth of subsidy per $1,000 of income over $150,000. So let's say you're a family. Um, let's say this is very common. You're a middle... You're about fifty years old. You and your wife are about fifty years old, and you have three kids that are, you know, I don't know. Let's say you got married a little later, whatever. Let's say they're they're in their they're teenagers. They're still there. You get three kids. So obviously, we expect middle aged people to be doing better, to be earning more money. I mean, not wealthy, but, but you know. So so let's say between you and your wife, you know, you're earning one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Well, let's just say start with 150,000. So at 50 years old, I believe you'll get 4,000, your wife will get 4,000, and let's say 2,000 for each of your kids. So that's so there you go. That's that's about 14,000 you capped at. You're getting $14,000. Keep in mind, we got Medicare, Medicaid S chip for we're talking about people earning 150,000. What if you earn more than that? So it would take until $290,000 worth of income to completely get no subsidy. You know, close to 290, you'll have very little, but you could be well into 200,000 and still be getting subsidized healthcare. So, what's going to happen is there's no CBO score on this. I would imagine it's kind of a wash. Basically, younger, poorer get less under this, but more affluent or, you know, middle, even middle, upper middle income families and middle aged. We'll get more. So it's politically – the whole reason why Republicans are like, come on, Daniel, you can't have a free market. You have to regulate and subsidize and guaranteed issue and this and that. You don't even solve the problem because they're going to come and say, wait a minute. You're going to – there's going to be a net loss based on current law with Obamacare to poor people, and you're transferring to wealthier people. But it's not just a spending thing or a moral thing or a class warfare thing. It's more of a market distortion because the entire poor market is distorted. That's all government-run. But at least let the middle, middle, upper income have a free market. If you're going to give them $14,000 or up to $14,000 per family, do you know what the premiums are going to look like then? Built, by the way, on top of the existing regulatory structure. Regs and subsidies for middle, upper income. So it's, again, insurers negotiating with the government on prices instead of directly for consumers. There is no consumer-driven market for free market cost-conscious health care. The premiums will spiral. This system's even worse post-2020. We're running out of time here. There's one other element, and I know I'm forgetting a lot of elements here, one other element. So they have guaranteed issue. You have to cover pre-existing condition. Community rating, cover at the same rate. Mandated essential benefits, cover a full package. Then we have Medicaid expansion. We keep it even worse more dependency subsidies for for middle income middle upper income on top of that there's a fourth element of government spending where they just throw 100 billion dollars at states for high risk pools reinsurance and ways to deal with the poor and on in you know, and 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 chronically ill now wait a minute isn't that what the other three elements were for the whole high risk pool funding was the concession of conservatives that look We were willing to agree to that if you got rid of guaranteed issue and we had a free market for everyone else. All right, you know, we know we're not going to get away without subsidies in this failed political party. So fine. But once you have the other elements and you have the subsidies and you have Medicaid expansion guaranteed issue, why are you keeping that? The debt that this will ensure, the, 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 the price hiking market distortions. It is literally worse than Obamacare. The few elements that in a vacuum are slightly less officious than Obamacare aren't going to happen until 2021. We're far from dead. And until then, it's Obamacare without the, without the requirement to purchase. I'm not going to purchase this. I'm already considering dropping it with the individual mandate penalty. And what's the whole reason why we don't fix the Obamacare before Obamacare? What was Obamacare before Obamacare. That was the employer market. You know, the government sponsor basically tilting the tax code to them and and just creating this nonsense. So we always said, oh, you can't get rid of that because that would create too much disruption, even though on net in the long run, it would be better. They're doing it anyway. When you have this system and then you take away the employer mandate, they're going to dump it. It's worse than Obamacare. The net effect. And again... Republicans will own it because the public will blame it on the repeal. They repealed and replaced and it induced a death spiral. Now, obviously we'll know it was ironically the fact it's the elements that they didn't repeal that induced it although, you know, exacerbated by getting rid of the individual employer mandate, it is literally better to do nothing and allow it to collapse fully and just blame it on the Democrats. Again, I'm not I don't want to do that. But this is where they are. We're at a time here you're going to want to tune in to Mark Levin and Steve Dase, Michelle Malkin, hear more about this. Um, get your subscription to CRTV. Also, support our sponsor, preparewithcr.com. Patriot Depot, 140 meals for just 99 bucks. Have in store in case uh, you get become bankrupt because of health care and you can't afford food. But until next time, thanks for listening. We're going to have a lot more on this. Watch my media interviews, our writings, and all, all that stuff. This has been another episode. The a conservative conscience.